Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good evening. This is Slogging It. Now, this is an absolute delight for Simon and I. We are joined tonight by a man that I'm lucky enough to interview for a second time, although he will undoubtedly tell you that only I spoke during the first occurrence. But we welcome David Gower to the podcast, and what a pleasure it is. Thanks so much for joining us. John, a very good evening to you both. Yeah, at least I get to speak now. <laughs> that might be it. <laughs> yeah, if you're still on good form, that might be it. You know, I'd... <laughs> Uh, dear. Yeah, I, I've I absolutely set myself up for that one. <laughs> yes. so, but, yeah, it was a great honour the first time, and it'll be a great honour again, I'm sure. First question, David, how does it feel to be a national treasure? I'll ask someone. Who, who are <laughs> National treasures are people like Joanna Lumley, and I'm definitely not her, although I do... I, I, I had lunch with her about six months ago, but she's married to a fellow who was at school with me, a fellow called um, Stephen Barlow, who is one of the world's finest opera conductors, and he likes a glass of red wine too. So there's a real national treasure or two. Mark Nicholas, of course, he's an absolute national treasure. You know that? Yeah. <laughs> All his friends are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, he- I once got to interviewed by Mark Nicholas. He was into actually interviewing Dennis Lilly in the 2005 yeah. Ashes. I, I'm sure you won't remember it. You were working on it for Sky. He did a master masterclass during the first launch interview Dennis Lilly did. And mm. he was horrendously drunk from the night before. Hungover, sorry. But yes, Mark Nicholas, he, he refused to talk to Mark Nicholas. The whole interview, it was possibly the most torturous 40 minutes of my life was being filmed yeah. on television. But, well, yeah, because um, 2000, 2005 was a fabulous summer. Now, Mark was Channel 4 in the Channel 5. So. Channel yeah, 5, was yeah. it? Sorry, 4 or 5. It's, it's, it's just a number. It's a channel. He was on a channel. <laughs> and they obviously, they obviously had a fantastic time covering all that. I mean, Mark is excellent. I have to say, you know, uh, without having to be forced into this at all, he is excellent in that role normally. And whenever any of us have a tricky customer who's, for whatever reason, not feeling particularly like talking, I mean, obviously incapable of talking is taking it to a, an added extreme. You know, some people just don't really feel like it. 
And that is that that is one of the trickiest times on live television, where if you're getting you know, monosyllabic answers or grunts, it can take an awful long time. And I remember once, um, I mean, we're actually that same year, 2005, we were doing it for Sky. We were doing live highlights in the evening. So I was hosting live highlights from normally from the studios at Isleworths. And actually, sadly, not at the ground. But we had sort of did a two-hour show without having to worry about Dennis Lilly being drunk at lunchtime. Although I must sound very fond of Dennis. He was one of my sort of great, yeah. right, you know, sort of great, one of the great men to play against, luckily, at the start of my career, end of his career. But yeah, but going back to live broadcasting, I once got sent by Sky in Guyana. We were covering the test match there many, many years ago. And Chris Lewis's grandma, I think it was, was in the crowd. Remember, Chris Lewis came from that part of the yeah. world, from Guyana. And we sent someone down to talk to her. And she couldn't stop talking. You know, so yeah, would you like to talk to us you know, in the lunch interval, tea interval, whatever it was? So they sent me across. And it was in the days when Charles Colville used to host the, the whole program. So they sent me across to the stands, and she wouldn't say a word. Every question was, hmm? you know, so whatever it was, you know, the camera there, and obviously it's my presence that put her off. You know, I'm such a disconcerting presence. You know, it just tied her up completely. But she wouldn't say a word. So it's what well, ten minutes later we said, well, uh, thank you very much indeed. It's yeah, back to you, Charles. Who then sort of came back with, well, there we are. You know, David Paxman Gower at his finest there, getting <laughs> all the secrets out of Chris Lewis's grandma, whatever it was. So it's. These things, yeah, these things, you, you kind of remember them. I mean, all the things that go well and lovely and, you know, people speaking to you freely, you know, seems the right way to go. Well, these are the nightmares of live TV. With them, um, I mean, obviously, we, I've been lucky to, enough to be at a number of events with you, and you are very much a man of the people. That's one of the things that impresses me about you the most. Like, you, you're never unwilling with your time whatsoever, I think, in certain situations, you probably give far too much of your time, but you will stand and talk to everybody. Is that so? Is that something that you were doing in your career as well as now? Or did broadcasting bring that on? Is it more of the charity side that's kind of allowed you to be a bit more free with your time? It's it's, it's actually a good question. It's a bit of everything. I think. I suppose the problem the problem with playing days, even though it was you know a million years ago, and you know social times have changed and lots of things have changed since then. The problem with playing days is that especially if you're an England player, I mean, even county players, you know, there, there are lots of people after you. I mean, just even just the simple thing at the end of a game as you walk out of Lord's, say, or even Grace Road or anywhere, and people want autographs. I mean, sometimes there is time, in which case you can be nice to people and you know, spend the time. Sometimes you've got things to go to, like theatres. Um, I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes there are pressing things on your mind. And if you've had a bad day, of course, you just, you know, you just want to get away from that. So um, in sort of with the current state of life, and things, like you say, quite rightly mentioned, the taverners and stuff that we can do with them and happily do with them. Because there's such a sort of feel-good factor to something like that, then it's, it doesn't feel like a, a chore mm. just to speak to people. And in fact, it can be, it, you know, let's face it, it can be quite good fun. And you meet interesting people, you meet a couple of dull people now and again, you know, but you meet interesting people, different people. And it's, yeah, you can, yeah, I'm happy to switch that on for, you know, half a day, a day, whatever it takes at the time. And then I can, you know, I can always go home and be quiet. Um, <laughs> far too often, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's something I think also which you, you acquire the skill. Um, Cause that's what it was. And for instance, here's a very good example, which I've actually used to sort of, you know, talk to other people about, similar circumstances. In the good old days of touring, you know, Australia, say, or anywhere in the sort of the 1980s, 
you're four months away. Uh, every Victorian state, every sorry, every Australian state you would go to, Victoria, New South Wales, they would have a reception. It'd be the local cricket association, you know, New South Wales cricket, Victorian cricket. You might go to Parliament House in Melbourne, that sort of stuff. So the great and the good would be wheeled out. We'd be in our blazers and ties, all doled up. And you'd have this fear that you've got to be trapped in a room for an hour talking to strange people. And one of the best at doing that was Bob Taylor, whose nickname was in the end Chat, because he would talk right. to anyone. And Bob just said, you know, look, just, just you know, senior player at the time when I first taught Australia with him. So just enjoy it. You, just, you, you never know who you're going to meet. It might be fun. And Ron's sort of huddling around in a protective circle and sort of trying to keep away you know, these strange people. If you embrace it and say, actually, yeah, they, you, you never know who you're going to meet. And that's part of the, yeah, it should be part of the fun, not a matter for fear. And so actually, once you, once you get your head around that, you can walk into a room almost anywhere. I mean, you, you, you always feel slightly vulnerable walking into, say, a dinner or a function or, you know, until you sort of find someone, maybe a familiar face or just someone to talk to. But if you, if you look upon it as a chance to just engage, then it's, it is literally much more fun than fearing it, dreading it, and trying your hardest to get out of there as soon as you can. So, so for instance, you know, this or the, I'm not going to call it a job, because it's, it's not a job, it's a pleasure, but, you know, this or the interactions with things like the taverns, whether it be the cricket matches or the dinner or whatever it might be, you know, they, they are genuinely fun, and you have the added benefit. You know you're doing something special for a special charity. So that sort of just makes it just that much easier. And I think, you know, given time and this incredible age I've reached, you know, some of these skills have eventually sort of seeped, seeped into the psyche. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's nice to be able to do it, is the, is the simple story now. It was a fear when you're sort of 21, 22, and you're thrust into unusual and strange situations, then it's a bit of a fear. I think one of our last interactions, talking about walking into a room and not necessarily knowing what you're walking into, well, I, think, I don't think you expected me and my friend to walk into the Pakistan room during the England-New Zealand one day at the Oval, when I'd, I was obviously a little worse for wear by that point in the day, and just, uh, yeah, marched into the room. The, the fellow who was managing the room was trying to chase me, and luckily you and Gat came to my rescue and admitted to knowing this drunken reprobate. Yeah. But can I say that you were one of the least drunk people in that room by that stage <laughs> of the day? We, <laughs> I mean, there was, who was in that room? Gladstone, yes, me, obviously two Lords Taverners. Um, uh, Swanee, Swan, Jeff Thompson. Oh, and actually, no, Tommy wasn't there. It was the one day, right? But during the Ashes Test match, we had Tommy there. And again, Tommy, a bit like Dennis, can train on quite enthusiastically. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. Actually, I did genuinely find it fascinating because it was a room of, say, you know, capacity of, say, 90, 100 people most of whom, or a lot of whom, would actually come to watch the cricket as well as be entertained and educated and have a bit of lunch. And, you know, but there is copious alcohol available. And a lot of, you know, by the time it came to, say, the, the end of play, the close of play on most of those days, it's not easy getting a lot of sense out of Swanee. <laughs> Tomo, there, was one day, there was one day we had a group of rugby players, bless them, very you know, proper you know, professional, current, you know, famous, enthusiastic sportsmen. And they trained on rather rapidly as well. So, and, and Swan and Swan and Tomo got stuck in with them. So, by the close of play, there's only one of us left who could actually speak English. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, these people have probably paid quite a lot of money for words of wisdom at the end of another great day of Test cricket. So, one of us had to try hard. But no, it's 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 a sociable time. John, as we know, it's a sociable time, isn't it? Of course. And you might as well have a nice day when you go to the cricket. Absolutely. Indeed. Indeed. I was just going to say that sort of 
being forced to go into that situation where you were, you would, you embraced it and talked to people. Do you think that helped you moving into your sort of broadcasting career? You also, also widely known as one of the best hosts of these events. Do you think that's helped you with that? The fact that you know what the other people are experiencing, you also know what some of your guests are experiencing, expecting to be their entertainment. You know, I think, I mean, that in, in a sense, all these things are linked in a way, in some way, aren't they? Because once you, as it were, learn how to engage with people. I mean, I was, and I was terminally shy as a kid. I mean, the only thing that made me less than shy was sport, to be honest. So once you learn how to engage with people, once you have a sort of, you know, what helps, of course, is the status that you get from sport, be it at school or, you know, as you move into professional sport. Obviously, as you acquire a bit of status, you become sort of more confident in yourself. And the, so the ideal, or the, so the, the structure of a conversation, of course, becomes all important, be it man-to-man or on live TV. And the nice thing, of course, about you know, the years I spent at BBC first and then 20 years at Sky, all those lovely people you work with, both you know, in front of the camera and especially behind it, well, I say, and actually, no, that's the wrong way around, but you know, all, all very special in front and behind the camera. Uh, those massive teams you work with. But it's a, it's a sort of familiarity you build up. So when you're in a studio with Michael Allison, Ian Botham, Nasser Hussain, David Lloyd, all those people, Michael Holding, you know, all those lovely, lovely people, it is just having you know, a bit of a normal conversation you know, until you wind Ian up saying, you know, talk about a hole in the pitch at Headingley. And then you, know, you, you can sort of needle them slightly for a bit of fun. But it's, it's the same thing. You are just trying to get your way through a conversation you're still trying to speak English, still trying to make all the relevant points, sometimes in a very short space of time. Sometimes, you know, when it rains, you've got 20, 30 minutes to have a, a nice long chat about life and cricket and the rest of it. And those were actually quite quite engaging conversations. So it is it is the same thing in many, many ways. And I think once you've once you've got over the, as it were, the fear that there might be someone actually watching you at home. And you know, once you once you've got a, got the hang of the inevitable misspeaks, you know, the inevitable cock-ups that will always come at some stage. And once you worked out that the best way to do it with them is just to you know, smile inanely and you know, and just you know, savour the moment. I mean, there, there are, over the years, we've all said things or misspoken or mispronounced or even sworn on air, which, of course, you know, they don't normally go for. Um, <laughs> normally. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's fine. It depends who says it. But, I mean, I remember when I was first at the BBC, there were some people like I me. Mean, Tony Lewis, the very urbane host, very good host of the BBC coverage when I first started working for them. And he had, of course, the great man himself, Richie Benner. But Tony, for instance, as the host, um, every now and again, and it was very sweet. The technicalities were very different in those days. So communications sometimes with those in the truck. And if things are going pear-shaped downstairs, which, of course, the viewer at home can never see, you know, Tony or whoever it's, whether it's Tony or me or Richie, there's always someone in there going, hang on a second, this is going horribly wrong. And that's when that sort of beatific smile comes in handy. And you know, if you can sort of just smile your way through it and you know, keep calm and you know, things will be all right, so then you know, that, you know, no one knows at home. But if, when you actually get the genuine cock up on screen, you know, either you go, ah, or you yeah. smile your way through it. I mean, we had, what was the, what was my, the best one I remember having was the, we were at Durham one year at Chester Street. I think for an ODI and the great man, you know, Baron Botham, Beefy was doing the pitch report and it would have been a pre-recorded thing. You know, quick look at the pitch, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, Ian sort of shuffles out there. You know, well, so let's have a look at the pitch then. You know, let's be green here and a bit brown. Oh, sod it, got that wrong. 
Now, that was recorded, obviously. And you know, the words could have been maybe sort of marginally worse than that. And so we go again. So yeah, it's recorded, blah, blah, blah. So on the live part of the program and the build-up to this ODI at uh, Chestler Street, I go, right, okay, let's have a quick look at the pitch now. Now, Ian Botham is down to do that. And it cuts to the wrong VT. So we get to the stage where it goes, oh, sorry, let's do that again then. Now, obviously, there's only one thing to do. You go, shoom, you bring the axe down very, very quickly on it. And you cut back to me in the studio when I sort of look up from the, the monitor to the camera going, trust me, I think it's a, it's a very good pitch out there. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah, and it's, I was very lucky because the other way around, like, Jesus Christ, what happened there? And, of course, that <laughs> makes it even worse. Even worse. So, yeah, that was a sort of a nice, smooth transition from a gentle cock-up to let's just get on with this and you know, pretend everything's normal again. But yeah, we've, all, we've, all, we've all said things on air that we'd rather we had. I mean... As a as a broadcaster, I mean, I, I grew up grew up watching watching you, and you know, been very very fortunate to to meet you and engage with you on a number of occasions now. The when you when you left Sky, you know, it's, it's obviously great that now you you're beginning to do more TV work and whatever. Like, how did that affect you? Because from from an outsider's perspective, it seemed to be quite a sudden sharp disappearing act, if you like. Or you you were there one minute as the the, the the lead and what have you, and then all of a sudden you weren't. And I don't think the, the viewing public, love you as everybody does, could quite understand why that had happened. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it's a tricky one. The, as we know, sort of trends have rather changed rather rapidly in the last decade, even. You know, the way television is presented, <clears throat> the way, you know, sort of commentary teams are put together, and it's not just cricket and it's not just England, it's global, it's Australia, it's the States, it's all around the world. It's football, it's cricket, it's rugby, golf, everything's changing. And to be fair, I mean, I was warned a good couple of years beforehand that they wouldn't be, you know, quote, renewing the contract. And I thought, well, really? And I did everything I could to try and persuade them in the meantime over that couple of years. Well, surely there must be something I can still do. I mean, so, you know, with the, the many, many things that, for instance, Sky do on their cricket, you know, there's test matches, there's ODIs, there's the hundred that came in, of course, there's all the other stuff that goes on. So there must be, just give me, you know, just let me do half a dozen test matches or summer. We'll, we'll all be friends. But it wasn't to be. So eventually you get your head round it. I mean, I was genuinely um, tearful, actually. At the end of the Oval Test Match 2019, the Ashes series, we had Beefy, who was also on his way out, who sort of decided he was going to be a winemaker anyway. Um, you know, Beefy wearing his fishing shirt and a pair of shorts and on the gin and tonics at half past two. I was in a suit and tie trying to make a point that I was, you know, still open for business and trying to set a good example and wanted to go yeah. out with a sort of, in the right fashion. So, you know, I had to sort of all, you know, a few poignant words for the end of it saying, you know, it's been an honour, it's been fun, it's been an absolute privilege. You know, thank you to everyone. But, you know, beefy going, come on, let's just get out of here. Come on, let's just go. Come on, we've got party, we've got dinner to go to. Like, oh, you know, just give me my moment. Um, and I, I remember sort of sitting there actually for about 10, 15 minutes in that studio at the Oval thinking, well, it's the last time I'll do this. And then in my hotel room for another 20 minutes thinking, I wish this wasn't happening. You know, but then you, go, you end up going to dinner with you know, Skype on a lovely dinner. Uh, Beefy chose the restaurant. It's Cambio in Brompton Cross, which is you know, the most brilliant Spanish restaurant. And so you know, Beefy was in charge of the wine list. And so we sort of basically carried him out horizontal about one o'clock in the morning, went yet again, put him in a cab. We could have sent him anywhere. 
We could have put <laughs> Edinburgh, and you know, would have been he wouldn't have known. And in the end, you have that. You know, it, it's all done very nicely. But the, yeah, I mean, I missed. I mean, I still miss that role. I mean, I still would love to be doing that. Um, mm. uh, but mm. you know, it's just one of those things. Obviously, I've had plenty of time to come to terms. I mean, the, the worst thing, in a sense, was that having got to that stage. The next thing that happens pretty much is, if you imagine this, you know, sort of 2020, COVID strikes. So, you know, for someone like me without a contract now, and you've got, okay, things like, say, Lord Stavner's, we managed to get a Lord Stavner's trip into Cape Town to play table cricket on Table Mountain. Absolute genius. Well, amazing. Absolute yeah. genius. We managed to get up on the Green. Cape I'll have to sort of clear it out for him, but, you know, sort of, <laughs> you know you cable car for one. And we managed to get cats on the mountain, and we had this. You had the table, you know, the Lord Stabner's table cricket set up there. It's all playing around. It's an absolute genius idea, and obviously a lovely place to go to. And as soon as we got back from that, which is sort of March 2020, it was COVID, and you know, so nothing happened. I mean, it was, it was, the, the yeah. worst part of that was, you know, two years where you couldn't go and speak at dinners, you you couldn't do Tabner's events, you couldn't, you know, nothing. There was you know, the only people broadcasting were. Sky behind closed doors, BBC behind closed doors, also holed up in bubbles in hotels at you know, the Aegeus Bowl. And all. so it was just, it was more the fact that there was sort of nothing to fill the gap at that stage. So, yes, it has been nice. I mean, I've, I've done, you know, I spent time in Pakistan with Transmedia and Pakistan TV. I've done stuff for Whisper, who have been great to work for, um, Caribbean, New Zealand, you know, in, a, in effect for BT Sports, you know, now rebranded, of course, as TNT. So mm. I, mean, I still enjoy doing it. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the nice thing. So, I mean, I, I love doing it still, and I love being part of that world. When the chances come up, they're just coming up a bit sort of, uh, there are you know, fewer chances and further between. But if the chance comes up, I'm, I'm game for it. Don't have to present. You can just be a, you know, just be a nice man on TV saying silly things and, and shedding a little <laughs> bit of wisdom out again. So it is fun. It's, it's still fun. It's still very much sort of part of my, my being. Do you think it was, obviously you went straight from playing into broadcasting, decades as a broadcaster and like you say the covid thing always that team environment when we've had people that have gone from playing into broadcasting they say on before they've, they've sort of gone well i'll go from one team to another so did you did you feel the same with that you went from cricket changing room to commentary room and then obviously 2019 happens plus covid did that mm. sort of ex- exasperate the, the situation more as as well yeah, I mean, the, I'd, I mean, I'd, I, what I'd done was, I mean, there was a certain amount of planning involved and a lot of help, but I mean, I'd done bits and pieces of the BBC before I retired from playing fully. I'd had a couple of summers down with Channel 9 in Australia, did the World Cup in 92, did the most of the series between West Indies and Australia in 92, 93. So, again, working with some really good people, you know, Benno, outstanding, Benno, you know, the most brilliant broadcaster that we will probably ever see in our lifetimes in many, many ways. You're working with people like Ian Chappell, but don't tell you both of them. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, I enjoy I, I enjoy Tipelli. He's 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 one of these people that you know, challenges you wittingly or unwittingly with almost everything he says. So it's, it's a good it, it's it's just, it's a good discipline. People like Greg Chappell, his brother, you know Tony Gregg, the great man Tony Gregg himself, the late Tony Gregg, sadly missed, sorely missed. So that was all good good fun, good education, really good education. Um. I mean, yeah. I mean, this, that, that, I mean, that whole world is a. It is. It is a very easy transfer in many, many ways. I mean, the only thing is that some people find that they don't necessarily have the instinctive skill to put things into words in the right way. But there's a lot of cricketers 
who for some reason seem to be naturally very gifted in that fashion. So some have tried and failed. And, you know, some have come and gone for all sorts of different reasons. Many have stayed. And of course, you know, I, I was the sort of beneficiary of that trend at the time, which is, if you can imagine, say, the, where are we now, sort of late 80s, early 90s, there are a lot of very good broadcasters around who hadn't captained England or hadn't played Test Match cricket for England. And if you looked at the radio, you know, uh, you know Christopher Martin Jenkins, Brian Johnston, um, you know, Trevor Bailey obviously had played for England. And the various, you know, the, sort of the various people involved weren't necessarily ex-England players, but the trend had already started. But if you captain England, as I had nicely then, or badly, or both, or somewhere in between, <laughs> yeah, it gave you a way in. And if you then put sentences in the right order and said the right things at the right time and were nice to Mr. Benno, then you know, your career was already on the right track. So yeah, there is that there is that skill you have to learn, which I would be quite sort of not harsh, and I'd be sort of quite strict on that. You know, the right words at the right time, as Richie set the example, I think are a crucial part of good broadcasting. Mm. You know, you can get away with, you know, instinctive stuff up to a point. But I think, you know, so the, the words you remember, I mean, Richie, Richie, for instance, that's a great test match at 81 at Heading, which I was part of, a small part of, when, you know, my great friend, Syrian, the Baron, you know, Beefy, made his mark and sort of started that magnificent reputation of his. That great... The shot that went into the confectionery stand and out again. Yeah. Everyone remembers that line of Richard, because you know, it was perfect. It was perfectly timed, perfectly delivered, just a few words in the right order at the right time. And for me, that is, that is the great art of commentary. Yeah. And let's face it, you know, as, as with cricket itself, you know, there are the superstars, there are the, the absolute geniuses, there are those the level below, and there are those you know, levels below that as well. And that's, that's what we have. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. 
Do more with Viator. Having captained England and, and scored thousands of runs for England so successfully and then been an avid watcher and broadcaster on the game since, how does this England side measure up? Now, I'm not talking about buzzball. I mean, but how excited are you by this current group and what their potential is in terms of achievements? Well, I love it. I mean, you'd be a fool not to love it. The last couple of years have, I suppose, ripped up the rule book in so many different ways. There are so many revelations. I mean, it is all fabulous, absolutely fabulous. I mean, for instance, having met Ben Stokes at the start of his career, where he was a more taciturn, you know, just a natural player, obviously a very talented player. But one of those little dinners that Andrew Strauss actually put together, getting people like me from a previous generation into the same room as, you know, Alistair Cook and Ben and sort of, you know, the England team of that era. It's a few years ago now. You know, Ben was a, a very different sort of individual. And on that experience alone, you thought, well, how on earth is he ever going to be? You know, never captain England. You know, he's just a great player, you know, talented player, but never captain England, you know. And yet, I think the interpretation, which is quite widespread, is this, that all the things he's been through, apart from being, you know, starting with the premise that he's just a brilliant player, but all the things he's been through, tough times the last few years before taking on the captaincy, have given him a sort of worldly experience, an empathy. And I think the empathy is the thing that comes through most strongly, you know, dealing with young players. Well, it's all the, every, you know, every series, you're, if someone comes in or someone needs an arm around their shoulder... Yeah, in the good old days, a couple of games that have been out. You know, right, it didn't work. Sorry, let's try someone else. Under this current regime, you know, it's, I won't say it's impossible to be dropped, but yeah, but there's that greater understanding of the human element, which I've always tried to remember. But you know, I always knew it as a player. Obviously, you're acutely aware of the human element of the game as a player. And then, as a commentator, you've got to be, you know, you've got to watch, knowing that these are human beings who are potentially fallible. So each and every mistake isn't, you know, the worst thing has ever happened since the birth of Christ. You know, it's all the death of Christ. It is, it's actually what happens in a game of cricket. And I think some sort of understanding of the psychology of people is vital to creating this environment. And between Stokes and McCullum, you know, McCullum is brilliant because, again, he's, you know, he's not trying to coach the four defence. Obviously, we haven't seen one for two years. You know, he's, <laughs> you know, he just wants... And, he, you know, if you see him when I've sort of when I've been around the games and you see their sort of their net session the day before a test match, you know, Brendan's not going around shouting at people. He's always kind of reading, reading a sort of the, the latest bloodstock news from New Zealand where he's got his horses, you know, it's always practicing his golf swing. It's a great atmosphere, which seems, I mean, it works, doesn't it? I mean, it really does work. And miracles, it seems, do happen. And it's... Each time we get another miracle, as with you know, Test match number one in India, where things are basically everyone's going, oh, it's all going to go horribly. It's going to go horribly wrong. It can't work there. Now, an Indian spinners, blah blah blah. You know, turning pitches. You can't just you know, belt it out of the park. Suddenly, Ollie Pope gets 196, plays fantastically well, and a fellow that most of the cricketing world's never even heard of, who's six foot four, apparently comes from Lancashire or plays for Lancashire now and again, you know, a couple of times here and there. Picks up seven wickets. Yeah, it's it's just it, it's fairy tale stuff, which is just great to behold. It's doing a fantastic job, obviously, of giving Test cricket the right sort of oxygen at a time where Test cricket is under immense pressure. Mm. And for people like well, us certainly people like me, being either there to watch it or watching it from a distance, 
It is heartwarming. I mean, it's just brilliant. And of course, yes, there will be moments where this phenomenon doesn't quite work. There'll be, you know, it, when it, you know, that series against South Africa a couple of years ago, they went from, they had a sort of a blip. They lost the test match, came straight back and, it, and started blitzing it all around the place again. So, I mean, there will be times where it doesn't work. But there are, you know, there, let's face it, if you try and play according to Don Bradman's Art of Cricket, published 1930-something, yeah, there will be times where it doesn't work. I mean, if you play according to the manual, the MCC coaching manual, you know, all those lovely black and white photographs from way back, you know, there'll be times that doesn't work. Things have changed. DRS, well, you know, there's so many things have come into the game in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Techniques change, attitudes change. Yeah, it's, 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 it's an ever-changing world. And again, going back to Benno, Richie, Richie was brilliant at embracing the new. You know, there's a man who goes back to cricket in the 50s and 60s and was a clear thinker about, you know, great captain, great player, a very clear thinker about everything to do with the game. And he maintained at all times an open mind as to what came next. So when ODIs came in, ah, interesting, you know, T20 coming, you know, all these things that just come in almost naturally, you know, and you can't stop it. You know, if you keep an open mind, you can enjoy them all. But the obviously the crunch for people like me is the greatest pressure that is being applied to test match cricket. You know, when you hear people talking, and these are people very influential in the game globally, well, from India, about IPL and when you... We used to be talking about a window for IPL. That window gets bigger and bigger. Then we talk about windows for T20 leagues, and they get more fulsome and you know, there are more of those as well. Then someone starts saying, well, maybe we should think about a window for test match cricket. And of course, you know, it's, it's shock horror. What? This mm. is the finest form of the game. You're not going to give us a window for it. Well, that is maybe a commercial reality. It may be a sort of reality of the modern world of sport and cricket. And in many ways, it's better to have a window than no window. <laughs> but at the same time, I think, you know, I think, you know I'm, I'm certainly one who will keep fighting for more than just a window of test cricket. Oh. And so every time we have a sort of you know, game of the ilk of that game in Hyderabad, or in some of the Ashes test matches last summer, or the West Indies beating Australia in Brisbane, you know, another fantastic story, oh. Jamal Joseph, you know, a security guard. I mean, this is how West Indies cricket used to work. You know, security guards, waiters, you know, they would come off the, off the beach or wherever they had to work, have a game of cricket, suddenly get picked for Barbados or wherever, and suddenly they're playing for West Indies under Clive Lloyd and Bib Richards, and they are superstars. And that's you know, that's part of the match. That's part of the the fairy tale of Test cricket as well. Do you do you think obviously you've got a lot of the senior players saying the right things about Test cricket? You've got Ben Stokes obviously mm. saying what he's doing and trying to play the way he's doing. Virat Kohli said a lot that it's his favourite form of the game. Again, some of the Aussies, Steve Smith, mm. are like that saying, "No, we've got to keep this going." Do you think that? that will still hold water or do you think it might money will eventually talk and it'll be a little bit like Rory McIlroy and live golf when yeah we'll try to deny it for as long as we can but eventually yeah. it will just become too good to be true probably sadly probably because you can't you can't deny commercial forces and let's face it there is a lot of money in franchise cricket most of it in India, of course, but the you know the other franchises that have sprung up since all over the cricketing world are you know they are commercial. Um, I mean, what I, actually one of the things I like going back to Shamar Joseph is that he, one of his quotes at the end of that extraordinary Test match in Brisbane was that 
you know, he gave the impression very strongly he wants, you know, he wants to be part of the West Indies test team. We all know, you know, as observers, whether you go to the Caribbean or not, that the temptations will make that a very hard thing for him to sustain. Because if, if for instance, you know, the offers, you know, people will offer him you know, hard cash, good money to be part of the white wall world, for sure. If he sticks to his guns, brilliant. I mean, West Indies would be very proud of him, very grateful. But we know that West Indies, for instance, are one of the countries, well, I say country, one of the regions where test cricket doesn't pay. Mm. So when we were there in December with the, the ODIs and the T20s, you know, Johnny Grave as the chief exec of Cricket West Indies is saying, you know, the year before they had the three test matches, four five, you know, five-day test matches, basically trying to break even. With a one-day game, they probably make a million bucks. Wow. wow. You know, that's, you know, suddenly you're <laughs> actually in profit Mm. as opposed to, you know, scrabbling just to sort of see if you can break even. And South Africa, we know South Africa, you know, the only thing that is commercially viable in South Africa in the cricket world is the SAT20. Hence, mm. that carries on with all their best players, you know, Dupacee, Rabada. You, know, you can go through the South African test team, the first 11, each playing in the SAT20. Mm. And who's in New Zealand? Not a clue. You know, it's... it's <laughs> Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a sort of sad but commercial reality for South African cricket that they have to do it that way. And they, you know, they are apologetic, but also adamant that's the only way they can do it. So these things you know, aren't just going to go away because we say, oh, we'd like to see more test cricket. And you know, as you say, people like Virat saying it's still the most important game for him. Well, that's brilliant because if you've got 1.5 billion subscribers to your X account or your YouTube account or whatever it might be, and you're saying things like that, that is you're helping to promote what we still say is the best form of the game. But, you know, Virat's in a very good position in so many very different ways that he's brilliant at test cricket, brilliant at 50 over cricket, brilliant at 20 over cricket. He's a character. He's, you know, he's an icon. He's, you know, he could, he could, he could, he could promote anything. And the fact that he has chosen to say nice things about test cricket or good things about test cricket is very important. But it doesn't alter the fact that if an IPL game is on in Calcutta or Mumbai, wherever it might be, the ground is full. And if a test match is on in those same grounds, it might be half full or two-thirds full. But it's still, you know, if it's Calcutta, it's still probably, you know, 60,000 people if it's two-thirds full, yeah. which ain't a bad crowd. You know, if it's uh, the Wankedi in Mumbai, it's still, you know, 30,000, 40,000 people, which ain't a bad crowd, but it's not full. So, I mean, again, that's just, that's just the way things work. I remember talking to Kumar Sangakara about um, the balance for the BBC. For <laughs> Ironically, again, coming back to that man, Mr Botham, Beefy, was the guest editor on Radio 4 on Boxing Day a couple of years ago now. And I was his flunky, you know, traipsing around interviewing people about the balance between red and white ball cricket. I remember talking to Kumar, of course, who would say, yes, he's proudest of all those, what was it, 12,000-odd test runs, test runs. And all those hundreds and you know, the magnificent performances that he put in for Sri Lanka in Test match cricket, but he's now working for franchise cricket, mm. and he's you know he says, well, you've got to give the people what they want. If they want franchise cricket, then you give it to them, and you make it, you make what you can of it. So I mean, that's I mean that's a very pragmatic modern view of it. So in fact, with that's to the point being, of course, it doesn't matter how many people say, well, actually, we treasure our Test match records and our Test match figures. Yeah, if they are then. It's not siding with the devil, but if, they, you know, if they're throwing their hat in with commercial franchise cricket, 
and people are watching commercial franchise cricket, well, you know, there's an immovable force there. We're mindful of how much time we've got you for, so we've just got a couple of quick questions left. With regard to, and we talk about franchise, and obviously the franchise is popping up all over the world. How I can be quite critical of the BCCI, at, 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 well, all the time, quite mm. frankly. But, you know, it now seems that obviously the SA20 is owned completely by these Indian franchises, as is, the, I think, the CPL franchises. Mm. Are we in complete danger of India taking over the cricketing world and it becoming too much of a force to ever be become balanced again? Well, I suppose, the, yeah, the honest answer is you've got to look at the, I don't know what the current figures are, but if you totted up, as it were, the net worth of cricket in India, it's billions. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's billions of dollars, billions of pounds, and yet more billions of rupees. You know, it's it's... Many lakh, many crore. You know, it's 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 a phenomenal amount of money. Just look at the broadcast rights alone for IPL, which is probably something like six billion dollars over five wow. years. You know, there is an awful lot of money centred on a very big. I mean, it's a, it's a great, it's a brilliant market, isn't it, India? It's a brilliant market, and the enthusiasm. You know, ever since you know, when I first went there, which is nineteen eighty, and played a Test match in what was then Bombay and Mumbai at the, the new Wankhede Stadium. Yeah, it was a brilliant atmosphere, febrile to the year, a fantastic thing to experience. And if you, you know, even now I might sort of not get away with it, but you, know, you, you walk around Mumbai, you know, Delhi, wherever it might be, cricket fans will get you because there is this enormous love for the game in that part of the world. And the same thing spreads across Asia, into Pakistan, into Bangladesh, down into Sri Lanka, you know, the enormous enthusiasm. But they have the money. So, I mean, that, that gives them the Wipan. You know, so the old days of... For instance, Australia and England being sort of the two dominant boards and controlling whatever it used to be called. You know, the ICC, they kept the same initials, they keep changing the words. But the power used to be with, you know, in Melbourne and London. That's been superseded by this new commercial reality. So, yeah, and what are we going to do? I mean, we don't have, you know, no one else has those same resources, for instance, to buy franchise teams around the world. Uh, and these are these, and it's not the although okay, IPL is controlled by BCI, BCI, but it's owned in effect by all sorts of different people, big companies, mm. big individuals, Bollywood, you name it. It's you know, it's it's in there. So what are you going to do? Um, I mean, ICC don't have the power to do anything. You know, they they're very good at you know, selling the rights to ICC World Competitions, you know, T20 World Cups, 50 over World Cups. Yeah, they're very good at doing that. They're very bad at spreading it to where it's needed. You know, there's still a huge imbalance as to where the money mm. ends up. Yeah. And that needs to change because, you know, again, going back to sort of the broader sort of LinkedIn topics, you know, these many strands that all bring us back to the same place. If you're going to have, if you want to keep Test cricket in the West Indies and South Africa, somehow you've got to you know, divert some money that makes it viable. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's all very well India saying, well, we're generating most of the money. Um, you know, okay, congratulations. Yes, they have. You know, they've got the perfect environment to do that, and they do it exceptionally well. But you know, for the for the greater good, you know, the ICC is is, a, is, is it's it so often seems powerless. Mm. You know, it just, it just seems like yeah, well, we can arrange a meeting, <laughs> but we can tell you the answer now before we've had the meeting. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's that. That's what I find frustrating. And of course, you know all these, you know, all the great and the good will meet now and again. You know, at ICC meetings, you know, cross and discuss what they think is good. 
And yet, you know, there are a lot of people like us frustrated by the way it all ends up. And I mean, I don't have the absolute solution. I mean, I can't, I mean, I, I, would, I would love some sort of, shall we say, spirit of generosity to spread across the cricket world so that everyone gets a bit of a chance or mm. everyone gets the chance they need. You know, and if that were to happen, obviously it would mean not just India, but England, Australia, you know, the countries with the relatively full coffers to acknowledge that some of that needs to be spread and for ICC to also take that on on board, I would suggest. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, something I said a few weeks ago about the ICC is I don't, I don't know whether they're impotent, is maybe one word, or whether they're just not willing to stir the pot too much. Um, to, they're the ones that supposedly got the power, but they don't seem to be wanting to... They seem to be reducing World Cups rather than increasing the size of them and mm. the reach of them. But um, I've got a, a bit of a question that I wanted to ask you. Is how do you think you'd have fitted into this England side? I see a slot for you in at four, at five, sorry. They're still moving down and keeping. Yep. Unfortunately, yep. folks doesn't get in. I think you'd have, you'd have fit in there nicely, sort of dashing swashbuckling. There's been a lot of words used to describe you as a player. All of them very positive normally. But where do you think you'd have, you'd have fit? You, can you see yourself in there sliding in at, at number five? Oh, one would like to think so, obviously. Yeah, the nice, actually the nice thing about being long retired, one of the few nice things about being long retired is that some of those old memories of the failures sort of have sort of, sort of slipped away. <laughs> you know, sort of the frustrations, which I mean, I, I'm fully aware, I, I haven't forgotten. You know, sort of the number of people who Frustrated by the bad days, but love the good days. Yeah, I think. I mean, I suppose if 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 you were transposed into the modern, if I, you know, if I was suddenly twenty five years old again, for the sake of argument, you know, you could imagine you'd be would have been brought up differently over the last 10, 15 years. You know, different sort of system, different sort of environment. And if you if you, I always whenever you do this sort of transgenerational transposition, you have to say to yourself, right, let's put it into the right sort of context. Yeah, what would I'm, what would you have done at school? What would you have done? Yeah, you know, that's in, in the sort of the time from going to school to county club. Yeah, you know, you're playing white ball cricket. You know, we used to. You know, what was the shortest game we played in the seventies, eighties? Forty overs. So, you know, the Sunday league. That was you know, forty. Oh, is that all? You know, forty overs. And yet nowadays, of course, that's you know, you're playing two you know two T Twenty matches. You learn new tricks. I mean, I yeah, you know, I, I didn't like wearing visors, and I hated this sort of. Claustrophobia of having something in, in front of my eyes here. So only ever wore that silly little helmet with those silly little side pieces and the you know, little bit of sponge over your temples, which, let's face it, probably wasn't adequate to the task, but I never really got tested. So if you, yeah, if you get to play silly shots over your head, well, you probably have to wear something a bit different on your head. I don't know. I, th- I mean, I'd like to think those skills would have transferred and would have been up to the task. And the other question that... <laughs> Sometimes gets asked is, yeah, you know, how would you have fared in say, would you have made it into the IPL? You know, and yeah, I always, I mean, I always because I was so, so very much of the mindset, you know, Test cricket comes first. Even ODIs, my ODI career, I'm, you know, I have to be honest about it, started relatively well, and sort of kind of tailed away over the years. As sort of the incentive to think it counted, just somehow psychologically in the background, it was so well, ah, okay, it's just a bit of fun, you know. But if you are suddenly offered the chance to make a small fortune. Mm. <laughs> yeah. 
wherever it might be. <laughs> even even the most romantic, moral, I love the game and that's surely good enough type person would go, yeah, half a million dollars wouldn't wouldn't go amiss, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. No, I'm, 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 like, I'm like, yeah, hang on. Let me just go back into that net and try and learn how to ramp it. You know, I'll just. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? I've got to put a helmet on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd, yeah. Pass me one of them visors. I'll, no, no, I'll let's, let's worry about the helmet. No, I'll just get. You know. <laughs> it would. I'm sure it would change one's mindset. But yeah, getting into. I mean, but let's face it. If if I were good enough to get into this current test team, then I think the one thing I can say is I would love. You know, I'd fully love the, you know, the culture, the atmosphere. You know, McCullum as your coach, Stokes as your captain, and luckily. Actually, now here's here's my question back to you: Would both of them fit into this team? Because let's put it this way: <laughs> the culture they have at the moment, <laughs> the one thing missing, as far as Ian would be concerned, is the amount of fine red wine or Chardonnay or both at the end of the day. You know, it's 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 a, it's a different sort of thing. So, um, I'd probably be not only designated to you know, try and show a bit of flair at number four or five, but also Designated to keep the great man company. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to see. Not, not, I would love to see that in a dressing room. I, I, this, this thing, I think, certain ways. I think cricket is obviously apparently people got better, bigger, faster, stronger. But that some of the personalities from sort of your era, where mm. you were allowed to see that, and that was one of the things I took almost from when you talked about that fifteen minutes that you had at the end of your, your Sky career. Mm. BP sat there in what he was wearing. You sat there in what you were wearing. For me, just summed up your two sort of personalities and how you were perceived by the public. One person sort of quite very proper and well-spoken in how they did things, and then another person sort of very brash. Mm. And I, it's it, I, I miss that about something. You've got people like Mark Wood to a certain extent that come yeah. in and and, yeah. and I like that. But I, I, I would look. I'd have, I'd have both of you in just solely. On, on the entertainment value that the other stuff would provide because I love that about sports people. I, mm. I like the sort of maverick personality. Yeah, I to to have a good time and show that there is more to life. This isn't the be all and end all. There is more to life. There is having a drink with your mates and there is yeah. enjoying well, what life's providing yeah, for you. Yeah, but again, I think it's a nice, you know, one of the great things about this Stokes McCullum era is that. Everyone is obviously enjoying themselves, and I've always, I've always preached to me. I mean, let's get away from, you know, having to drink with beefy, or you know, let's get away from, should we say the, the idea that enjoying yourself involves, you know, a couple of bottles of red wine at the end of the day. It's it's enjoying the whole thing. Mm. You know, it, getting up in the morning, playing the game, you know, whatever sociability you could manage at the end of it all is up to you. But it's enjoying the whole thing from the start of the day. To the end of the day, because if you don't enjoy it, I mean, it's 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 a hell of a shame. And again, whenever one sort of speaks to, you can say, should we say the Lord Stavner's hat again? You're speaking to some of these kids that have come through our programs, you know, from wickets and you know, uh, starting to play matches for the Tabs. And what they're doing is something very very special, because in some cases, as we know, John, we know the story. You know, they've come from a background that wouldn't necessarily have predicted that. They've learnt the skills of cricket. They've got very good at it. They're playing with you know, our Tavs teams. You know, you know how mixed they can be. Um, you know, but there's some good cricket players. <laughs> and 
they're doing it with a smile on their faces. And that, to me, is the most priceless thing about this whole thing. I mean, I, when I played cricket you know, as a kid, you know, my father sort of started me off at some single-figure age way, way, way back. And then you get to school, and it's fun. Mm. And obviously, the better you are, the more fun it is. And then the more fun it is, the better you get, and the better you get. The better you get. It's a lovely upward spiral. I always use that sort of analysis. And if you can keep that sense of fun, then it actually makes getting out of bed, whether it be for a you know, county match or a test match, all the you know, all the more easier, mm. and yes, you'll have bad days. You have, I mean, I had some terrible times. You, know, you have some really dark times, which you don't need to go into now. But you, you you have those days, which is very much at the other end of the scale. And again, people will tell you from the your first day you walk into a pro dressing room, there'll be bad days, there'll be good days, there'll probably be more bad days than good. So you treasure the good, mm. and you know one of the key things is to sort of keep a smile on your face. And to yeah, look forward to it with some sort of anticipation of, of joy. Mm. Final one, David. Dare we dream of a series victory in India? Or is it, I mean, obviously the second test starts tomorrow morning. What are your thoughts? You can, you can always dream. And um, <laughs> Stokes McCollum and the rest of that squad will dream. And they're in a very good position. I mean, everything they did in that first test match, well, not everything, because obviously it started... As we know, it started on an over. Oh, here we go. Oh, no, Indian. Oh, no, oh, dear. And then it changed so dramatically. I mean, the, the interesting thing is that India now have problems uh, with mm. their own fitness. You know, Kohli missing one more test match. It'll be interesting to see what happens when he comes back. Um, and they have this pressure of having suddenly got it wrong. Now, I mean, I'd be fascinated to see how they um, pick their teams from now on in. Um, what they do with their pitches from now on in, um, you know, and how it goes. You, there, there's still a chance, obviously, that India at home, where they've been so incredibly strong for years now, will find a way to turn that balance, you know, to tilt the pendulum back towards their their success. Um, that wouldn't surprise anyone. But the, you know, the chance is there. And as we well know from seeing everything that Stokes McCullum do, you know, they will approach this next test match with... Uh, eager anticipation, which is absolutely right. Um, if, you know, we've got Anderson back in, um, Bashir making his debut. Um, mm. Yeah, it's just it's just it's just an extraordinary thing to watch. Um, and yeah, let's dream, let's keep fingers crossed. And you know, as one who proudly can say that some years ago, I came back, you know, I was holding a trophy aloft in Kanpur. Um, at the end of a 2-1 victory in India. Again, not necessarily expecting to have that at the end of that tour, 84-85. Just go for it. Go for it. See what happens. Brilliant. Well, look, Lord Gower, El Prez, as those of us who are telling us refer to, it's been an absolute honour. Thank you so much for joining the two of us. Yeah, this last 50 minutes, 55 minutes have been an absolute joy, so we, we can't thank you enough. No, absolute pleasure. You, Absolutely a pleasure. Um, and good luck. We'll see you... Well, see you somewhere in the next few months for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Look forward to it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, Thanks. my pleasure. Bye-bye. We'll see you soon. Bye. Okay. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.